Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Venture Games podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm excited to introduce my next guest, Josh Newman, president at Melon. Melon is a leading Roblox developer that helps companies bring their brands into the metaverse. How's it going, Josh? Great. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Sure. Thanks for joining me. So to kick things off, Josh, for those who are less familiar with you, do you mind just walking through your professional background leading up to your time at Mellon? Yeah, absolutely. I probably have a non-traditional background <laughs> for a lot of people that are in this space. I started off my career first as a musician, and then I became an artist manager. I started one of the largest management companies in the world in, in the music space. It's called Crush Management. And while I was there, we were heavily entrenched in the emergence of the emo movement. <laughs> and I signed Fallout Boy in a little cafeteria in Madison, Wisconsin, while they were opening up for OK Go, um, among other bands. But mm -hmm. that was really the start of a great wave for the company. Uh, and now that company manages Panic of the Disco, Green Day, Weezer, Sia, Lord. So it was great to be a building block and the foundation of, of that company. And from there, I had a chance to get involved in electronic dance music sort of before that wave broke. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to another and I ended up co-managing Tiesto for about six years. Mm -hmm. And that was an incredible experience. He was already really big when we started managing him, but we had an opportunity to elevate his career further. And mm -hmm. uh, about 18 months after we were managing him, he was on the cover of Billboard. And it was basically Tiesto, the only like stadium arena DJ in the world. And mm -hmm. why are all these brands working with him? And when, when we met Tiesto, he had never done a brand partnership. And by a year and a half later, it was like the first branded content deal with Twitter. And, mm -hmm. and I got HP and Intel to underwrite it. And that was sort of a precursor to so many music-driven branded content looks that we see now. Like Smirnoff, Heineken, mm -hmm. like it was, it was a lot. And we realized through doing so much work in the brand space that we were doing more than just being a management company and we really were functioning as creative agency. So I set out to create a separate company that would serve that purpose to help brands navigate the, the talent space, especially in electronic dance music and music in general. And we immediately out of the gate had Heineken, Adidas Originals, Red Bull and Samsung. Samsung, actually, we, we booked Kanye for the first branded experience he'd mm -hmm. ever done. I'm a huge was, Kanye uh, fan, by the way. He's my all-time favorite artist. He was amazing and incredible to work with. And he gave, I think, a, like a 15-minute speech about uh, French fashion right in the middle <laughs> of uh, Samsung Galaxy 2 product launch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. killer. That was, that was a good time. But we realized as we went back to our clients with the content we had created, they were like, this is great. We're going to spend a ton of money amplifying it on media now. And we were like, oh, we thought we'd kind of figured out a great business model here, how to scale what we were doing. So we were like, okay, we need a, a platform to 
park the media dollars on. Mm -hmm. So we architected an electronic dance music editorial platform that we thought was viable and, and didn't exist in the market, shopped it around, and we ended up doing a joint venture with Vice Media. Mm -hmm. And at that time, Vice, I think, was valued at about $250 million. <laughs> and it was still very renegade gorilla. And they were like, great, come on in, help us get the platform up and running. You got a management company. Great. Everybody can sit over there. And it was just like in a giant open space. We were like next to the presidents and it was an incredible experience to sort of see our friends go from that valuation, which at the time seemed massive to, <laughs> to me, to being a $4.5 billion mm -hmm. company in like a, another year and a half. And it was a wild ride in there. So that was cool. And then they ended up acquiring us. And after we sold to Vice, my partner is this amazing genius creator named Sean Miyashiro, who's first generation Asian American. He was like, you know, I'd really like to make a platform that celebrates Asian culture, but mm -hmm. not cookie cutter stem like celebrating the underground which she was mm -hmm. like that's where i come from and there's millions of people like me and no one's telling our story so i was like look i'll totally support you and however i can and that was the start of of 88 rising and i saw sean's vision and just did everything i could to really build up the music side of what 88 rising was doing and I ran that company for about six years and that led to into the pandemic mm -hmm. and being in quarantine with my, my family, I've got a nine-year-old and 11-year-old, just spent a lot, a lot more time with them than I normally do and w was also just doing whatever they did. And they, of course, are on, on their screens all the time, mm -hmm. not necessarily to my approval, but I think there's a lot of positivity, especially during that time when kids couldn't be together in person and these gaming platforms were really serving as their social connective tissue. So I was like, all right, like there's some, this is really interesting and there's some incredibly positive things happening here. And they showed me, I got my accounts going on like mm -hmm. Animal Crossing and I, I really love Switch. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a hardcore gamer. So like, that's kind of my speed. I yeah. kind of can't figure out like Xbox controllers <laughs> very well, but it, it's wicked. I like watching my kids play and, and my friends, but you know, they, they, they're on Minecraft, which mm -hmm. I think is a brilliant platform, Fortnite and Roblox was really like the massive one in our house. And just an absolutely fascinating platform if if you're you know unaware of it, which to me at the time I I, I didn't I didn't really know what it was at all, mm -hmm. and I just very quickly realized that my kid was on it and every kid that we knew, everyone was on it, mm -hmm. and then I was like, this is really interesting. The games look kind of basic. The way that they're playing is really social. They like get they get on a game. They get on another screen and, and talk. They're just hanging out. And like, they're having the best time. I'm giving them, like, they're collaborating. They're being creative. It's competitive, but it's also like, it's not. They're all like kind of helping each other achieve di different, you know, different levels and, mm -hmm. and acquiring things. And I was like, 
very, very interesting. Had a lot of questions about what I was seeing. And I was lucky enough to be able to speak to a bunch of people at Roblox. And I had a lot of the kind of questions I was asking were really dumb. <laughs> like, you know, well, I was also going on to Roblox developers forums mm -hmm. and Discord. I, I was like kind of going deep. Yeah. Um, and probably like I was, at, I'd ask questions in like developers forum and I probably was getting answers from like 13 year olds. <laughs> it, it was great. Yeah. Um, but when talking to Roblox, I was like, well, from my world, like are music artists allowed to be on the platform? Mm -hmm. And how about brands? How about IP that, you know, that I would think would, you know, be thrilled to try to bring experiences here are they allowed to is it cost prohibitive you know what what's up with this and they were like no we we'd love to have all of the above here it's just we don't build anything we just build our we build our core toolbox that developers mm -hmm. use so someone needs to build it and at, the, at this moment in time there's you know it's sort of a grassroots UGC movement and there aren't you know really studios that anyone could hire to do that and I was like, wow, it's incredible. And I learned, I started to learn about development and what the technical potential was of the platform. And I was like, you know, this is really viable, but there's like one massive barrier to entry for me. I don't build anything. <laughs> right. So that's typically where like my entrepreneurial ideas can die in the mind <laughs> pretty easily. But as I was talking with different departments at Roblox, they all were like, oh, you should talk to Mellon. Mm -hmm. they're a great young development studio we respect them a lot they work well with us we have great communication with them and that sounded really interesting to me and then when roblox started their music department i was like the first person that begged for a meeting with them mm -hmm. and i was like oh my god i've been waiting for you guys like let's go and they had already done a deal with an artist on Atlantic Records that they were going to build an experience for. And I knew what the process was. So I was like, oh, well, you know, who's going to build it? Because I know that, you know, you guys typically don't build internally. And they told me, oh, well, we heard from the tech team at Roblox that we, we should work with Mellon. And we've talked to them. They're great. And so they're building this thing. So then the experience came out. I said it was with Ava Max. I saw it and I thought it was fantastic what they built. And so I tracked them down and I socialized what my vision was for what a metaverse development studio might look like focused on Roblox. And they were really excited about it. And we really hit it off. The, the guy that started Mellon, Devin Thum, he's 25 now. He had started off building the Minecraft servers mm -hmm. in high school. And then he and his friends kind of pivoted to Roblox as they saw it emerging. So they had, they had about four years or so experience building, doing a lot of white label development for other games that had some traction or small brands. So I baked myself into the structure. I stepped down at 88 Rising and at the top of 2021, we hit the ground running. And there were eight people there and, and myself, and I started to go on that journey with them. Awesome. So folks who are in sort of the gaming industry and, you know, obviously Roblox is a platform. It's much more than just a game, right? But as far as like the different backgrounds of folks, you know, yours is definitely quite different from sort of the typical person in the industry. 
And so what gave you the conviction to actually jump into the industry rather than, for example, continuing to work with some of the talent that you worked with previously and serving as like an agent to them, but still remaining on the talent side? For me, I've always been at the intersection of content and audience engagement and brands. While being a video game production definitely is a different medium and the community, all of these communities are different. And Roblox, I, I, I consider to have a very specific community makeup, but the process of creating content, whether it's film or video or music and working with the talent that's creating that, there are a lot of similar threads that run through it. And I, I don't know if I'd feel that way about building a AAA game. I know a lot more about game development now than I, I did when I was crazy enough to have maybe made this leap. But I think that there was enough connective tissue for me that it was not an, an overwhelming point of entry. You know, you need to make content that's going to be engaging to your audience. You have many different roles that need to come together to build that. You need to have a marketing plan. You need a rollout strategy. Those are all things that I've spent the last 25 years of my career doing. And I felt like I could apply a lot of my learnings while also learning about this totally new ecosystem that I that was privileged enough to be, be able to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And then you, you mentioned that you are a bit of a Switch gamer today. So what are some of the games that you're playing either on Switch or just in general today? Well, I'm playing a bunch of Roblox. I do think that those games are really addictive. Mm -hmm. And in, like it's, it's subtle, I think, as an adult. Like at first you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this is it. I'm playing a tycoon. I'm like racking up some serious dollars in a uh, car dealer to tycoon or or resort tycoon i really just i like the tycoon genre a lot i play a bunch of jailbreak with my kids that's mm -hmm. that's a pretty good one on switch i like all the nintendo titles i think like mario adventures great i like super smash brothers i just think like they have the perfect essence of what's great for kids. And I sort of slot into that as being mm -hmm. like, I'm an Atari 2600 level yeah. uh, operating uh, controls. <laughs> I'll play some Zelda, mm -hmm. but you know, I don't like single player as much. I like, you know, I like the collaboration. Got it. Okay. And then Melon actually coincidentally just announced its $5 million seed round. So congratulations on that. Thanks uh, so much. A few years ago, I think as Roblox was raising tons of money, you know, it's still growing rapidly. And it was almost consensus that like, hey, Roblox is going to be the next big platform, you know, especially for young folks, right? So there was tons and tons of fundraising interest. And then I think more recently, well, again, some of these Roblox developers are continuing to raise you know, it's been a bit less of a focus. And so what was the fundraising experience like for you, having gone through it very recently? And do you believe there still is significant investor interest in funding Roblox devs? The journey for me was pretty interesting. I, this is, while I've been involved in a number of successful companies, 
I've been more on the operational strategic creative side than I have been on the front line of raising capital. And so this is a new experience for me. It reminded me a lot of pitching, pitching my bands <laughs> to get a record deal, except I was sort of the band. And in that same analogy, it's like, I have a great relationship in the music community and that I've had, I have a pretty good track record. Like if I have a band that I think it, you know, for whatever reason I'm working with them, I should be able to get them a record deal, mm -hmm. you know, within a couple of weeks. And I, I probably have like a couple puts until like my mm -hmm. band starts to really suck out. And they're like, Oh, Josh is just like, he's lost his touch. Yeah. And uh, you know, we got to look a little bit harder at that. I kind of think that like the VC world operates in a similar kind of way. And I felt like I was a bit of an outsider coming in and especially in, with the gaming VCs, because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there are certain things that everybody's looking for. And I really had a steep learning curve there. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm incredibly appreciative of like, you know, I'd probably have had a hundred plus meetings exploring fundraising from institutional money, family offices, angels. It, it's incredible. And the people are so bright and there's so much knowledge to be gained from these conversations. It's also such a different thing. Like the music industry is such a street smarts kind of, kind of a business. Mm -hmm. Like it's run by your gut. I mean, now it's more data driven for sure, but you know, on the flip side, you're dealing with like, you know, on the capital raising side, you're dealing with like Wharton, Stern, mm -hmm. Harvard Business School, people that have a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge responsibility to ask for money and for the people that are managing other people's money to actually, you know, be comfortable to give it to you. So, you know, that, that vetting process and what people are looking for as far as like what's a success and that was that was all an in incredibly interesting learning experience a lot of vcs that we talked to were somewhat concerned by the, the fact that we had both an agency business as well as partnerships and creating original games mm -hmm. and they sort of felt like you should just be making original games mm -hmm. like that's what we invest in. And it was just like, for me being coming from the world of working in, in the brand space and entertainment and content, it's so hard to get brand deals. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to like get in the room with decision makers. And for the first time in my life, I was like dealing with like C-level, <laughs> like truly, you know, the highest level. And people were so interested in, they are so interested in being in the space. Mm -hmm. And I, I recognize the value of that. And it's very hard to articulate it beyond, you know, talking about your, you know, your revenue, which it's obviously generates a tremendous amount of revenue, but there's so much value in, in the relationship and what you can build and the potential of having them even fund your original game ideas or being able to be in the room and have partnerships at that level is very powerful. But if you aren't experienced with that sort of side of the business and you're really coming from like a tech and pure gaming play, it's like, it's not comfortable footing on either side. Mm -hmm. 
So what I thought was a huge added value to the offering that we were bringing in some cases was really being viewed as a hindrance and maybe something that was going to be taking us down. And Mm -hmm. that was really interesting feedback. And while we did not abandon that part of our business, we still, I still totally believe in it. It did give me much more insight into, Hey, you know what, what's really important is being able to create content that is going to be generating money when we're asleep that is Mm -hmm. not completely human resource driven and we need to find the balance between all of these different buckets in our business and eventually we did find people that were absolutely thrilled with the areas that we were focused on including music which has carried over from my past life into this one and you know, I think there's a huge opportunity for music and IP to be in in, in Roblox and in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. So how do you actually think about that balance, right? Because to your point, clearly there are some benefits in partnering with brands, right? But on the other side of things, you know, if you were doing it first party, there probably wouldn't be, you know, a revenue split, you know, there's a bit more freedom to to do, you know, whatever you want. So how do you think about that balance? And what do you think, you know, you don't have to put numbers on it, but what does the correct balance look like to you sort of longer term? I think that for us, we have a couple different buckets that we're mm-hmm. working in. One is our agency model where we are hired by clients and we're doing strategy and working with them on their creative and then handling the production of their experiences and sometimes their marketing. And those are, those are great relationships. It's also helping us learn and to better ourselves on the platform, both from the systems that we're, that we're creating to build games, some of the uh, technology and the cloud-based systems that, that we're building every time we, we make a new experience. So that, I think, is one of the benefits that we're getting to help us be much more efficient in our first-party development. And also there's, there's obviously this, this revenue stream that we mm-hmm. have that gives us a very long runway to be able to experiment and sustain wins and losses in the first party owned, owned and operated mm-hmm. IP, which, you know, if, if you take five big swings at the plate and nothing's connecting at the level that uh, you thought you would, you know, your, your runway might start to get into you know critical position mm-hmm. pretty quickly so we have a balance between our agency work we also do partnerships mm-hmm. where we might work with a brand that we think is going to have some significant monetary and uh, audience engagement success and do a co-production where we're shouldering some of the costs and our partners are also bringing resources to the table Maybe it's marketing, maybe it's a production mm-hmm. advance, and just the, the value of the IP can drive it. So that's another really interesting model for us. And then the third is, is original IP. So, I mean, ultimately, I think that we want to have a balanced portfolio. Right now, mm-hmm. we're very heavy brand leaning. I would love to be in somewhere of like 25 to 50% of our revenue is coming from our brand partnerships and our partnerships and original IP were making up like 75% mm-hmm. of, of it. 
we have a ways to go to get there, <laughs> but a, a, a roadmap ahead. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's it's not doing less brand work. I think mm-hmm. it's like siloing the siloing the agency and supporting it, and then having some shared resources on the technology level, while being able to kick off some revenue and being able to help our our first party properties really get get the opportunities and and chances they deserve out there. Right. Got it. And then what are some of the larger brands that you guys have worked with? You know, I know you guys have worked with a number of large artists and companies. And, you know, it's interesting because as sort of a partner, you know, Melon isn't always necessarily, you know, at the forefront saying like, hey, we did this, we did this. But, you know, obviously you guys have worked with some huge, huge brands. So what are some of the larger brands you've worked with? The biggest brand that I've ever worked with this closely is is definitely the NFL. We have a partnership with them and we've brought them into the Roblox ecosystem. And that, that's been an incredible experience. They're, they're pretty amazing to work with. And just working with an operation at that level with 32 teams, with event tent poles throughout the year, and then you know, this massive season culminating with the Super Bowl, it's a huge responsibility. And I think it's also a really interesting challenge in taking a sports property and trying to figure out what the authentic voice of that brand should be mm-hmm. on the Roblox platform and where is that true intersection. And to be honest, we're, we're still experimenting we launched the week of the Super Bowl, so we mm-hmm. had about two days of in, in football season. <laughs> and then in the off season, we've been training as well. And I think we're ready to hit kickoff in the rest <laughs> of the season with the NFL with like all of the learnings that we've had. And we're really excited about some of the new games and new updates that we're, we're bringing to that. But that's a huge one. We work really closely with Chipotle. Mm-hmm. They are so progressive. They're so in tune with both their brand and the metaverse and the things that they are trying to achieve on the Roblox platform and in, and in, other, and in other platforms too. They're really so self-realized and they come to us with a very baked, baked concepts and then they, we really push the boundaries of technology and development. And like with Clark's, that was the first brand to ever do a code redemption where you, and, and we built this for them, where they have this program that they do every year called Burrito. It's a wonderful name. <laughs> Uh, where they do a tie-in during Halloween, Mm -hmm. where typically you get dressed up as a burrito, you go in the store, and if you're dressed as a burrito, you get a free one at the counter. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. But during the pandemic, they were like, oh, we don't want like millions of people like bum rushing the store. What can we do in the metaverse? And they came to us with a couple ideas and we landed on creating this haunted maze. When you completed it, we came up with the technology to be able to deliver players a unique redemption code that then could be taken onto the Chipotle app where you could redeem a free burrito or you could take that that redemption code in store. Mm -hmm. And we saw the traffic like spike up like hockey stick. (laughs) Like we've seen a lot of engagement, but we've never seen anything like it. And 
coincidentally, like 13 minutes after it launched, due to a different technical issue, <laughs> the Roblox platform went down for yeah. like two and a half days. Mm -hmm. So it was all like kind of fed into the mystique and the le <laughs> and like the lore of that campaign. Yeah. And then we've continued to do like we have ongoing projects. We like last thing we did with Chipotle, we we created a burrito builder where similarly you could get uh, like massive redemptions and you could build your own burrito, which, you know, they have a cult following and they know their brand. And mm -hmm. that's really exciting when you're working with a property that really knows themselves. We worked with Clarks. We, we recently put out an awesome game with them. That's sort of like an extreme sports X games kind of experience around their Zika shoe, which is a extreme sports shoe collab that they've done with all of these awesome extreme sports influencers. Like they've got one of the biggest parkour athletes, mm -hmm. break dancer, BMXer. So we made games that sort of mirrored those experiences. Worked close with PacSun and continue to do so. And we've done a ton of music stuff. I don't know if we consider them brands or not, mm -hmm. but you know, that's sort of a sweet spot for us. So actually diving deeper on the music side of things, right? So a few years ago, you know, when there were these big name virtual concerts, you know, whether on Fortnite or whatever other platform. And then obviously this pandemic happened, you know, so a lot of this stuff was top of mind for folks. And I think there was a lot of hype around virtual concerts, right? But now that we are slowly but surely returning to more normal times, you know, there are some concerts outside. There are other opportunities for folks to gather. How are you thinking about this sort of virtual concert opportunity? Do you still think it's very attractive just as most folks thought it was before? Well, like taking one step back in time, not too long ago, mm -hmm. but if you look at like 2020, right, that was the era of the ticketed virtual concert mm -hmm. that was like a video performance. Yeah. And there was like a huge investment rush into like Maestro and, mm -hmm. and Moment House and all of these platforms that were going to be providing this new experience. And during the pandemic, we were like, amazing. We're so excited about mm -hmm. it. It was even pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. It looked like there was an opening there for a new line of business. Mm -hmm. And what I think we saw was that it was still a one-way conversation. Like even when you had like the greatest artist, the biggest artist in the world, like Billie Eilish working mm -hmm. with the greatest production company in the world, Moment Factory, the, you know, preeminent creative force in production. And it, it was killer looking. Your experience was still just like, I'm watching the screen just like mm -hmm. I'm watching you right now, Chris. Like, right. <laughs> like we're like, you know what? Not even because we're having a conversation yeah. and you can have a conversation with Billy Eilish. Right. And at best, you could maybe text your friend like, oh, I'm watching yeah. her too right now. <laughs> And isn't that cool that we are texting together? Mm -hmm. And I think that when Fortnite came with some of the virtual performances, you know, Travis Scott kind of mm -hmm. blowing the whole thing wide open, it was like, okay, now whether it's Roblox or, or Fortnite, now we're looking at a pre-existing community. We have a virtual world where people are completely invested in their avatars. They're financially invested, they're emotionally invested. Mm -hmm. And Roblox, we, we're friends with each other. Like my avatar is friends with other people's avatars. Yeah. 
and they're psyched like we're i'm psyched to see my friends avatars mm-hmm. i know them i know what they look like i'm like oh there's you know there's my kid's friend felix or there's yeah. you know my friend and i'm like we have that bond so now when you can have this music experience and we're all in there together mm-hmm. digitally but it is the like our digital representations that we relate to and we're like oh man we're all together here and we're at the Ty Verde's concert or we're at KSI or or we're we're the Ariana Grande experience whatever it may be like that for a certain generation that hasn't had a lot of experience in actually going to concerts mm-hmm. that there there if you look at it, it, like I watched what my kids are saying to each other and watching larger chat groups they're like oh we're at the concert right mm-hmm. now we are in a concert together and I think that that's a huge change from that 2020 like one-way experience right. and you say well you know now we have all these other opportunities to go and see music like does my 13 year old right not really mm-hmm. like maybe a teeny little bit but these are like incredible experiences mm-hmm. that we're bringing to young people right now and and also a different type of experience for someone that can go out but they're probably right. not going out seven days a week mm-hmm. and they probably would be pretty psyched to have some of this new entertainment with community mm-hmm. so i think that that's really interesting overlaid with the creative palette that is available to everybody and we're just scratching the surface of like you can kind of do whatever you want in this space mm-hmm. it's it's pretty wild so if you can work with artists that are creative and want to engage in the space or are pushing us as developers to really like max out the boundaries of what's possible here I think we're going to see a huge creative explosion of storytelling and content mixed with the with the, with the music medium, and we're going to have all sorts of output, whether it's gamification, concerts, persistent experiences that are inspired by artists or influencers or creators. Like, I think we're just we're at the very like we're at the uh, starting blocks of where we could take all of this. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of what you are describing, you know, to some folks sort of flirts with what they call the metaverse, right? And metaverse obviously is a concept that everyone says, everyone has their own (laughs) sort of definition. You know, I think Matt Ball, who just, you know, recently released his book, has done a great job of sort of defining it. But how do you think about the metaverse concept and how would you define it? Well, first of all, thank you for the tip. And I need to check out Matt Ball's book and his definition. I'm sure it's way better than mine. <laughs> but I think that right now, the metaverse is really a catch-all for so much of what's going on out there. To me, I view the metaverse as a collection of platforms with various community followings, mm-hmm. uh, each of which, which have some level of a virtual experience, virtual world, avatar engagement, virtual goods and community and communication. Mm -hmm. And those are all real, like that's massive. (laughs) And so we have all of these different platforms that have have components of of all of these different elements. 
in my opinion, community drives everything. Mm -hmm. There is no metaverse without a community. And people are gravitating toward different worlds to, to be in and invest their time in and loop in their friends or get looped in by their friends. Mm -hmm. And they all sort of have different ingredients. There's a different recipe going on at, at all of them. What you can do in them, what you can do as a developer on them are vastly different. It, it ranges from like, you could spend months and months and months on an experience or like, there's really a toolbox that you could max out in a couple hours. And they're also all siloed in, in mm -hmm. their operability right now. And, you know, I look forward to the day when, you know, you can, we have some level of an interoperability so that we can carry our digital identities and the assets that we're acquiring across all of these different platforms to be able to represent who we are and, and what, you know, that, I mean, not as people, that's what, that's like our, our social currency and, and what we use to sort of represent our values. And it's kind of frustrating that you kind of have to do it like a manual car. Every time mm -hmm. you go to a new, you get turned on to a new platform right now, you got to start from the beginning and figure out like, oh, what's going to represent me and be my voice here. And so I think it's really splintered right now. And I know that people that are way smarter than me are working <laughs> on figuring out how to bring it together. But uh, it's no small feat. And uh, I, I just, uh, I really enjoy seeing how the interaction is in, in the, the platforms that we are focused on. And, and we really want to be where the biggest audiences are currently aggregated. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the siloed experiences and sort of today, at least there is a lack of interoperability. And I think today, one of the companies that, I guess one of the platforms that folks most often sort of associate this metaverse concept with is Roblox for many folks, but there are a lot of these platforms out there, right? But at the same time, you know, Melon currently is primarily focused on Roblox. And so going forward, or I guess just generally, how do you think about sort of the trade-offs of, you know, anchoring yourself to, you know, one of the leading platforms that's growing very rapidly versus at the end of the day, Melon is really just a developer for folks who want to bring their experiences to the metaverse. So why not develop for all of them? How do you think about sort of that balance? We want to be first and foremost, where the audience is. And at the same time, we, we're very much interested in trying to pioneer and we're up for helping develop community and being a part of the process of developing community. You can't get the community there if you don't have some cool stuff to do there. Mm -hmm. So that's part of our responsibility, right? That we can, we can make engaging experiences and, and draw audiences there, whether it's for our own IP that we're creating or with partners or being hired to, to build things. So I think for us, we're very open to it. I think uh, Fortnite's creative mode too is going to be quite interesting mm -hmm. to see what kind of tools and, and what sort of content as creators will be able to build there because there's certainly audience. I think that looking at other platforms like and, and Web3 like Sandbox and Decentraland, mm -hmm. they're really interesting. We are piloting programs in a lot of them. We want to know what's under the hood of the car. 
as far as the developer tools are evolving, one of the things that we do weigh when we're looking at going onto another platform is what kind of resources are we going to need? It's, it's not like a developer can just go from the language uh, on, on Lua, which is what is being used on Roblox to, you know, Unreal Engine to right. a proprietary toolbox that Sandbox might be using. You know, they are the ones that are going to be leading the way. But sometimes you need to be engaging with specialists for every platform. Mm -hmm. So where does our like where does our business want to scale and where do we want to allocate our resources in spreading out our team for that knowledge base? So those are things that we you know, we're balancing that. We're looking at if we go there, can we drive the community there? Is there a plan for ourselves to do it, for our partners that we're working with to do it? Are we going to make an impact? And is this part of the future? And should we just be investing there as developers because we believe that if we're a part of building it, they will come. And whether we're there or not, they're going to come. So mm -hmm. we should probably get there. Those are all the things that we're trying to balance right now when we look at you know, how far do we spread out and where do we go? Got it. So it does sound like you're open to exploring it just when the time is right and sort of the community is there. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Got it. So, you know, while the community on Roblox is obviously quite large um, and the platform on the aggregate has monetized quite well, you know, I think there is still some concern that given sort of how much engagement you get on Roblox and how much reach you know, for individual developers, there aren't really a ton that have reached significant scale in terms of their revenues, right? That's always been sort of lagging to the amount of viewership and engagement that they get. So just from your vantage point, what are some of the challenges to monetization that Roblox developers are facing today? I think that what we're seeing, like with a lot of independent developers is like, they'll come up with something that just kind of catches on fire really fast. And like, maybe is like hitting like a 20,000 unique concurrence all day long. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, audience, audience is what's driving monetization. So there isn't really a mon like there's less of a monetization challenge and more of a, how do you keep, you know, if, how do you keep the audience engagement mm -hmm. up? there's tools and strategies for monetization. But I think that what happens a lot with some of these games that just kind of come out, come out of the gate swinging and it's maybe a small crew of developers that are, that are friends that, you know, just kind of put this thing up. It, mm -hmm. it caught on with a bunch of influencers and the community is supporting it. There isn't always a live ops plan there isn't a constant, you know, it's sort of like the content update plan hasn't really been put into place. And also you've got like a lag in revenue, right? Mm -hmm. You've got like, you know, you've got maybe like 60, 90 days behind, you know, your audience. Like if you're just like some, some dudes that are doing this on the side and the thing kind of blew up and no money came in for three months, mm -hmm. like you might be like, well, I'm not like doing another update to this thing right yeah. now. Like, um, you know, I'm, I, I got some other things to do. So I think that with like a live op strategy and creating tentpole moments and having some layers of, of marketing and, and influencer engagement, you can really sustain those higher levels of success, but it's challenging and you definitely need, it, it, 
if you just put something out and you never update it again, it's probably going <laughs> to fall off the face of the earth and audience engagement. We've seen some amazing mm -hmm. games that people have made and they're like, they're exploding. They're like, they're doing way better than like a lot of the experiences that we'll put out just like mm -hmm. a little independent studio. But over time, it's like, we're like, wow, that they haven't put an update out in a year. Like mm -hmm. kids do get bored of that after a while. So I, I think, I think those are some of the things that are, that are difficult too. I mean, obviously as a professional development studio, if you're making major investments in original IP and it, it is not performing at the level that you want it to, you really need to think about how heavy are you going on these big original IP swings and how do you sort of find a sweet spot between like, Hey, you know what? We're going to create something. We're going to pilot it. It's a cool idea. We're getting some audience feedback. We're getting some in engagement. We're going to now take the next phase, improve on that, continue to build the, the content and the audience engagement. And now we're starting to see it monetize better. Got it. Um, okay. And then shifting gears and sort of as a concluding question, right? So, you know, Mellon has great partnerships with some very large brands that you work with. You know, you have a great relationship with Roblox itself and a large presence on the platform. But going forward, sort of longer term, what ultimately is Mellon's impact going to be on Roblox and even beyond on the metaverse? I hope that we're going to be able to move culture forward and, and impact the lives of young people that are engaging on these platforms, young and old. I really hope that we're going to be able to bring some level of elevated creativity and storytelling and making some really compelling experiences and bundling that with really progressive tech that is pushing, pushing the boundaries of what all of these different platforms or all of these different pockets in the metaverse have to offer. And ultimately, I hope that we're, we're going to bring some value to the community out there. And that's, that's our short-term and our long-term goal. That's, that's the impact that we want to have. We hope that we'll be disruptive in, in what we're doing and give people a little bit of pause to think about what's going on in life and use this platform for some good as well. And I hope we'll be able to achieve that at a, at a pretty high level. Awesome. And I'll definitely be following along as you guys continue to build. But I just wanted to say thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Chris. It's always great to talk to you.